Hey, good morning, everyone. How we doing? Ready for next week? I I love celebrating the resurrection. How about you? It just can we just thank the Lord for the resurrection? There's so much hope. So much hope. I know times are crazy, but boy, do we need to hear a message of hope and and how Jesus conquered our greatest fears. He conquered our sins. He conquered the fear of our future. And knowing that having a relationship with Jesus, knowing that he conquered sin and the grave, that the tomb is empty, that we no longer have to fear death. The sting of death is no more. I'm preaching my sermon next week. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Um, yeah. Hey, I am, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad for those of you who joined online. I'm just encouraged this morning. There was, so I, I just popped on Facebook real quick to see who was online, and there's a girl who joined online. Her name is Katie. She goes, I'm just thankful to be here to watch online after the car accident. She goes, I'm just glad to be alive. Can we thank the Lord for Katie? And we're glad that she's... Katie, we're glad you're with us. We're glad that you're here in person, those that joined online. And so I'm just so grateful for the Lord. And what we're going to do today is, um, today, I believe this week is really a week of preparation to not only prepare our hearts for the cross and what Jesus did for us upon the cross, but also to prepare our hearts uh, for the resurrection. And so much as we read through scripture happened this week in the life of Jesus. And I don't want to gloss over anything. And I believe that the cross, to understand the resurrection, to really appreciate the resurrection, we need to understand what happened on the cross. It's so much more than just Jesus dying for us, which he did, and, and the painful act and the torture that he went through on the cross symbolically there's so much going on there for you and I that Jesus literally bore our sin upon himself and faced the wrath of God, the judgment of God that should have been poured out on us was poured out on Jesus Christ that we would find forgiveness through Christ. So I don't want to overlook the cross and I want to kind of dig in uh, to what Jesus was experiencing in the last week of his life before he went to the cross. So to understand the magnitude of the resurrection we must understand the significance of the cross. So if you're available on, um, on Friday to either watch online or to come in person, service Friday at noon. Um, so if you guys have ever been to one of our Good Friday services, I just love those services. We reflect on the cross. We reflect on who, what Jesus did for us. We're going to take uh, communion together on Friday also again. And um, we're just going to worship the Lord and thank him for what he has done for us. I'm going to look at seven things that Jesus said on the cross. Seven last words of Jesus from the cross. And we're going to look at those together and how significant those words were and those statements were. But today what I want to look at is I want to look at the cross. Why the cross? Why such brutality? Why did Jesus have to die that way? And as a child growing up, we were raised in church and I would hear the story of Jesus and hear the story of the cross and hear the story of the resurrection. And I never really, it always bothered me. Why did Jesus have to die such a, a, a brutal death and such a torturous death? If you've watched the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you can see the brutality of the cross and, the, and what Jesus had to endure physically, that Jesus died this horrible death for you and I. And it wasn't until I got older and really understood the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross, that it really made sense to me. And it gave me such more of an appreciation of who Jesus is and what 
he accomplished for you and I that we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. And really, the, unless we understand the cross and what Jesus did for us, the resurrection is not going to completely make sense. You will have so much more gratitude for the resurrection when you understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and I. Because without the cross, we couldn't go to the resurrection. Without the cross, we couldn't find that forgiveness we need. And so we're going to look at what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and why he died this horrible death. The Gospels give us some incredible insight to what Jesus faced as he went to the cross. And understanding the cross significance will give us a greater appreciation for the resurrection. So before Jesus' arrest, his trial, his death, we call that the Passion Week of Christ uh, before he went to the cross and his resurrection, he spent some time praying in this garden. And this garden is called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes there with his disciples. This is right on the heels of him celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. What's interesting about Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane is what happens to him there. Something happens to Jesus. There's something he sees that he's astonished. That The, the Word of God actually said there's, there's horror that grips his heart on what he was going to endure. And I want to dig into that. And the the Garden of Gethsemane is symbolic of what Jesus will have to endure for you and I. The word Gethsemane literally means oil press. It's located on the Mount of Olives slopes. The Kindred Valley separates Gethsemane from Jerusalem. And there's actually an ancient uh, olive tree stands uh, there today, which is really interesting. But it literally means a place of crushing. And it's in the garden that Jesus experiences this crushing for you and I. This relationship that he has with God the Father, that Jesus comes from heaven to earth to bear our burdens. In the garden, Jesus experiences this crushing of God. And I want us to understand this uh, more clearly so the mean of Gethsemane is vital for us to understand what Jesus was facing. And it's interesting, the process of making um, olive oil, uh, the olives were actually grounded in first century. They were grounded into this olive paste under this massive, massive millstone. And the olive paste generally stayed under the stone for 30 to 40 minutes. This gives us a great understanding of the crushing that Jesus had to endure for you and I for our sins. So what happened in the garden that was so unique? Well, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was deeply distressed. Something happened to Jesus that caused him to experience this severe trouble. The translation of the Greek word deeply distressed literally means astonished. There's something Jesus sees, and it's more than just the physical death that he would endure. He knew the physical death that he was going to endure, but there's something that caused him to become deeply distressed and astonished. Jesus suddenly sees and realizes the magnitude of what he was going to endure. And we're going to see that as Jesus prays. It's so important for us to understand what Jesus prays in the garden, and I'm so glad the gospel writers capture this for us. So in the garden, what we're going to see is Jesus submits to the will of the Father to allow himself to be crushed. This is so important. This, which, this is what makes Jesus such a beautiful, perfect Savior. He willingly submitted to the will of the Father for you and I, to be crushed for you and I for this reason. That was Jesus' purpose for coming to earth. 
It was to be a servant, not to be served, but to serve us and give his life as a ransom for us because we couldn't save ourselves. And so Jesus in the garden has this deep connection, has this this emotional connection, has this deep prayer with the Father as he begins to pray and he pours out his heart to God and even says, Abba, Father, as we're going to read, which is an intimate expression that he has with God. So there's this, there's this deep moment that Jesus has with Abba Father about submitting ultimately to his will and allowing himself to literally be crushed for you and I. So let's understand what's, what's going on in the garden. So I want to look at a couple uh, different uh, gospel accounts of this and I want you to see the common thread here, the common theme. So let's first jump in Matthew 26, 39. And here he is in the garden, the place of crushing. He said, he went a little further. He bowed his face to the ground saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. And how does Jesus respond? Yet not what I, but, but I want your will to be done, not mine. Let's look at the gospel of Mark 14.36. He says, Abba, Father. He cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And then in Luke twenty-two forty-one and 42, he says he walked away about a stone's throw away and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. The gospel writers capture this prayer of Jesus. And what is the common thread here? As he prays, he goes, can you take this cup of suffering from me? What was, Jesus, what was Jesus saying here? What, what does it mean? What, what, does, what does it mean, take this cup from me? What does that mean? Interesting note here in the ESV study notes, it says the cup in scripture is symbolic of one's divinely determined destiny. Jesus understands. He knows why he has come to earth. And that was to suffer for you and I. Now, as we read through scripture, we can see different types of cups. There can be a cup of blessing. There can be a cup of suffering. There can be cups of salvation. There can be a cup of God's wrath. Jesus knows at this point what type of cup this would be for him. He understands his divine destiny and what he's come to do. Let me read a couple for you in the Old Testament about this cup and, and what, they, what they mean. Psalm 16.5, Psalm of David says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of what? My cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. David is secure in the inheritance of the Lord. He knows all things are good from the Lord. He knows his future is secure in the Lord when he puts his trust in him. So there's that cup of God's blessing. How many know when we're in Christ Jesus, we are blessed? Our future is secure. Our future is hopeful. Does that mean everything here on earth is going to go perfect? Yes, doesn't it go perfect all the time for all of us, doesn't it? It just always works out the way we want, right? No, it doesn't. Things change. But we know, because of the cup of God's blessing, we know our future is hopeful in Christ Jesus because of what we're going to talk about next week. And I can't wait, and I hope you're here, and I hope you watch online. I can't wait for next week to talk about the hope of the resurrection. Now, that's all good news, but let's talk about some sadder things about different cups. Well, Jeremiah 25, 15. Jeremiah, the prophet, it was difficult for him because he had to speak God's judgment because of the backslidden state of Israel. 
And listen to what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup, fill it to the brim with my anger, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink from it. Speaking of God's judgment, his cup of judgment, this is what Jeremiah was to speak. And then Psalms 116.13, it says, I lift up the cup of what? Salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. So we see these different cups, cups of blessing, cups of salvation, cups of judgment, cups of suffering. Jesus would drink from the cup of suffering for us. The destiny would be the cross of suffering for Jesus. Jesus understands that. He sees that. It's fully magnified for him in the garden. And it's in the garden. Jesus gives us some insight into the anguish he is is going through. So as Jesus is praying, he calls out to his father using the word Abba, Father, asking him to take this cup from him. And Jesus understood the cup that he was about to take from the Lord. Willingly, he submitted to the will of the Father and said, I will take your cup of suffering. If it means salvation for your people, then I'll do it. Jesus came for people. He came because we needed salvation. We couldn't do it on our own. We were lost and we needed a savior. And so here in the garden, Jesus has this intimate relationship with the father saying, I will do your will. And to better understand this cup that Jesus took for you and I, we need to go back to the Passover meal that was just celebrated earlier with the disciples. We need to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that Jesus is the Messiah that would ultimately come. And what I love about this is this comes on the heel of the Passover and Jesus just gets done celebrating the Passover with his disciples. So what's the big deal about the Passover? It's a very, very crucial and important festival among the Jewish people. The Passover celebrated God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. So what we see here is is God's people are in Bondage to Egypt over 400 years as slaves. God is going to uh, release them and save them from this bondage. God would judge Egypt and his judgment would come on every firstborn male. And so the way they were delivered from Egypt was through the Passover. So what, what actually happened that allowed the children of Israel to be re- released from this bondage from the Egyptians to be free to worship God and to go off into the wilderness. God instructed the Israelites this very, very important thing, and this is where we can connect it with Jesus, and we'll connect it with the cup that Jesus took willingly. God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and apply its blood on their home's doorpost. This was a sign of faith that God would deliver them. Listen, 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 just, ooh, just catch this. I'm going to rub my eyes because this means it's important, okay? Listen, this is so important. There can be no deliverance for Israel without the shedding of blood. let, let, Let me explain this. They had to believe God by faith that he would deliver them. Their deliverance would literally come under the blood as the blood was applied on the doorpost of their homes. For those that were under the blood, 
there was protection for that family. There was deliverance for that family. Judgment did not come to that family when they were under the blood of the Lamb. The only way they could be delivered, listen, the only way that you and I can be delivered, it's not, it's not whether or not you believe in heaven, you think, well, Jesus was a nice guy, and you may have some different beliefs about these things. Here, listen very closely. The only way that we can truly be saved is through the blood of Christ. Because his sacrifice covers us, it cleanses us, and it's by faith that we believe this. Israel did nothing to save herself. Nothing. There was nothing. She wasn't strong enough. She was in complete bondage, completely helpless unless a deliverer came. And so God comes and says, I will deliver you, but you have to follow me by faith. And I think many times we want to have this like little thing with God, like I'll do a little bit, God, if you do a little bit. And we have this, you know, little just compromise with God. And God says, no, you can't do nothing. You have to come to me completely helpless and believe by faith that I'm the only one that can save you. See, when we come with that type of heart, God is willing to save and his judgment doesn't come upon us. So what does it mean to be saved? I mean, a lot of people say, well, what's, what's saved? What's born again? What does that mean? Is that that crazy church down at the end of Ridge Road? You know, some denomination, the bunch of born again. you know, they're all nut. Jesus people, Jesus freaks. What are the born agains? Listen, listen. <laughs> you guys are crazy. See, you, your orange juice was expired this morning. I know, I know you guys, I know. Listen, what does that mean? To be saved means to be saved from God's judgment. God's judgment is no longer placed on us because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He took on the wrath of God for you and I, the judgment of God that should have been poured out on you and I. Jesus did that and willingly submitted for you and I. So now we are saved. There's a transformation. It's not, what, it's not what denomination you're part of. It's it got nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your belief in Christ Jesus and believing that his sacrifice, that his precious blood was shed for you. And then what that does is it causes us to repent. So what does repent mean? Does it just mean to say, well, I'm sorry, God. You know, we're all, we're sorry for things we've done in our past, right? We all have regrets, right? How many know when you say you're sorry, you end up doing the same thing later? You have, those who are parents, your kids say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hit my brother. I didn't mean to hit my sister. Five minutes later, you hear, ah, what just happened? I thought you said you were just sorry, right? It's more than that. It's a, repentance literally means a change of mind, it's a change of direction. I used to think this way and I followed my own will and my own desires, but God, you have changed my heart and you have changed my mind. And I repent of that. And I change my way and I change my thinking so that I might follow you. There's a transformation that happens in our heart. So the transformation that happened for the Israelites is they trusted God, they made the sacrifice, and it came under the shed blood of that lamb. So the lamb, what the lamb now does, the lamb becomes the substitute for the firstborn male. Under the blood, the Lord passed over that home and they were safe from God's judgment. So God instructed them to sacrifice a lamb, apply the blood on the home's doorpost, and that would be a sign that God would deliver them. So the Passover meal is celebrated annually to remember God's deliverance from Egypt that God and God alone was the one who saved you. 
the one who delivered you, and you couldn't do it on your own. There had to be a sacrifice made in order to deliver you. So during Passover, it's very interesting, there's four cups of wine that are taken, which represent four promises made by God. And towards the end of the meal, the third cup would be raised and they would drink it. And at the Last Supper with the disciples, Jesus raises this third cup. Now what he does is he departs from this normal Passover script. And this is what Jesus says as he raises the third cup. He said, this is my... Oh, I'm glad I have this here in my hand. This is a good illustration. He raises the cup. And what does he say? He says, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So now the disciples are looking at him. He departs from the normal script and he says, listen, my blood is going to be poured out for you. I'm the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. And what's interesting about this Passover, there was no lamb that was served. Normally at Passover, a lamb would be served, but not at this Passover. There is no lamb that is served because Jesus becomes our Passover lamb for you and I. A once and for all sacrifice for you and I. No more sacrifices need to be made. Jesus was perfect because he was God. He was the son of God. He fulfilled this Passover lamb, this prophecy that a Messiah would come and give his life for many. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. No lamb at this meal for the simple reason Jesus would be that lamb that would be sacrificed for our sins. So here's what I want you to understand. Jesus would become our sacrifice for sin. Just as that lamb was a substitute for them, by sacrificing that lamb, it became a substitute and God protected the Israelites from his judgment. Jesus would literally become an offering for us and appease the righteous demands of God. At the first Passover in Egypt, the sacrificial lamb appeased God's wrath for those that followed God's instructions. For those that come under the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now protected from the judgment of God. Our sins are washed clean. Our past, our past regrets, all those things are washed clean. Isn't that wonderful that I can look back over my past and I can remember my past and I'm like, oh man, there's some things I'm not real proud of or whatever. And God says, listen, all that is washed away. I hold those no longer against you. For those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. And so every time, how many know we're going to mess up tomorrow? We're going to mess up today probably, right? We're going to make mistakes all the time. What Jesus says for you, I, my sacrifice is enough that if you come to me, you can find forgiveness. And it's through my precious blood that you are washed clean again. So Passover is a vivid reminder for us. And the reason why they were celebrated it is that it was a vivid reminder of God's deliverance for them and it only came under the blood. So Jesus, what he's doing here at the Passover meal is declaring an oath, a covenant through his own body as understood in the Old Testament. And a covenant was established and sealed by the death of an animal. So the sacrificial lamb really was a gory reminder that an oath would be fulfilled. See, when we look at the cross, we think, wow, it's so brutal, it's so just ugly. 
It's messy. But I want us to understand that our sin, what we should gather from that is our sin is messy. It's ugly. It's separated us from God and there's no way that we could ever come close to meeting the demands of a holy God in our own strength. The Israelites needed the lamb to be delivered and we need the lamb to be delivered today as Jesus fulfilled that for you and I. It was a very vivid way of making sure that this covenant would be binding. So when Jesus holds up the cup, he says, it's going to be through my sacrifice that you will be bound to God through this covenant. Just as that lamb saved you through its blood, it's through my blood that you will be saved. So at Passover, Jesus said, my blood would be a covenant that would be poured out for you. So Jesus establishes a new covenant between God and us. In so many ways, and in so many words, Jesus is saying, I am fully committed to you. And what Jesus speaks to us is covenantal language. What do I mean by that? What is, what's the difference between covenantal language and contractual language? Jesus doesn't come to us and say, listen, if you do this and you do that, I'll be faithful to you. So if you read your Bible every day, if you come to church all the time, if you do all these religious things, then I'm going to be committed to you. If you don't do these things, eh, good luck, you're on your own. Have fun getting to heaven on your own. (laughs) He doesn't do that. What he does is he commits himself to us, absolutely commits himself to us through his own blood. He's he's saying, you bring nothing to the table. I'm going to do it all for you. And by you putting your faith in me, And my righteous act, God now imputes the righteousness of Christ into our lives that we may stand before a holy God. There's no more separation now between us and God. See, the vivid reminder of that separation between us and God is the temple. There was a curtain there, and only the high priest could go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. He could only go in there, and no one could just walk in there because what would happen if you just walked in there? You would die in God's presence because he is a holy God. There had to be a sacrifice offered for the atonement of their sin. And they have to do this year after year after year. Jesus comes as the Son of God, perfect in every way, to lay down his life for us so that there's no more sacrifices. So by me, by us putting our hope and our faith in Christ Jesus, now what happens? We have complete access to God. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from us is now ripped in half. And now we can approach the throne room of God with confidence, knowing that God will hear us. Knowing that God will give us grace through his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, that gives me a lot of hope. That gives me so much hope in our world today. In so many words, Jesus is saying, I'm fully committed to you. So Jesus speaks covenantal language to us by saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's so reflective. These, these covenantal words are so reflected in the marriage vows, aren't they? How many remember your marriage vows? Go back and read them, you turkeys, okay? <laughs> Go back and read them, right? Remember the marriage? What, 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 were the, what were the words? For better or for richer? You guys remember them, Right? What are those words? Those are, those are covenantal words. They're not contractual. You know, can you imagine a pastor saying between two couples, and he says, okay, here we go. Now, if you take out the garbage, she'll do the dishes. Would you, would you initial that for me? Excuse us, 
people watching the wedding. Um, and then they said, well, I'll do this if you do that. Will you all sign this? Can you imagine that? You would be in, in, in the pew with your toaster ready to give that to them as a wedding gift. And you take your toaster and you walk out the back of the back of the sanctuary, back of the church. I'm out of here. This isn't, when I, this isn't a marriage. Why? Because it's covenantal language. That's what Jesus speaks to us. He's not, he's not saying, if you do this and you do that, then I'll do my part. He just comes and he says, I gave my life for you. I came to serve you and to become a sacrifice for you. So what that causes me to do is to have a heart of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for me. It causes me to serve him, not out of a contractual obligation, but it causes me to serve him out of gratitude and love for what he's done for us. That is why we take communion because Jesus says, I never want you to forget what I accomplished for you. And so at this Passover meal, this is so important with the disciples because he didn't want the disciples to forget that this covenant was made through his blood. Not your work, not your good works, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'll deliver you from sin that keeps you from God. I'll deliver you from the wrath of God because of the consequences of sin. And on the cross, Jesus suffered what we deserved. Sin, guilt, hurt, pain, brokenness, our sin on his shoulders. Our sin on his shoulders. So through Christ, God's wrath and judgment because of our sin now passes over us. Aren't you thankful for that? We are no longer objects of God's wrath. See, we know Jesus understood his death. He spoke of it at his Passover meal. He knows he is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. But what kind of cup did Jesus take for you and I? Jesus willingly takes the cup of suffering for you and I because he knew that was the only way that you and I could be delivered. The only way the Israelites could be delivered was through the precious sacrificial blood of the lamb. Something had to be sacrificed because of the penalty of sin. It's the only way God's judgment could be appeased. And so what Jesus does, he willingly gives himself and he takes the cup. And he says, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And at that point, this is where Jesus is astonished because he knows what he is about to face. Not only, listen, not only the horrible torture Jesus would have to endure, but knowing that he would have to face the wrath of God for you and I. Jesus took that upon himself so that you and I could be free, so that you and I could experience the wonderful grace and love that God desires to pour out on us. Do you see how we can't over, overlook the cross? There's too much going on there, people. That's why we need to have grateful hearts knowing what Jesus accomplished for you and I. Listen, the thing I love about a relationship with Jesus Christ is that he accepts us all. There's no one that's better. There's no one that's got the inroad to Jesus because of their good works. There's no one. The 
Bible says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, the perfection of God. And the only way to be made right before God is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Knowing that he is the Son of God, that he is God, and the reason he came is to seek us, to deliver us, and that through his precious blood, we are now covered. Do you realize that when God looks at you, when you are in Christ Jesus, and you come to him by faith, and you say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I lay this before you. And when you come under the precious blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the only thing God sees is the work of his son in your life. So when you stand before God one day, you're not standing on your own account. You're standing on the account of Jesus Christ and what he already accomplished for you. So the next time, listen to me, I'm going to yell at you if you do this, okay? The next time you wake up or you feel condemned and you feel guilt, because we all do at those times. We never feel like we're good enough. We feel like we always disappoint God and we, we run that horrible tread. Isn't that terrible when you feel that way? I want you to turn to Christ and say, no, it's not me. It's through the precious blood and I can confess my sins and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Our hope is in a God who will not turn away from us but will receive us and bring healing to us and restore us. God will no wise cast you out when you come to him. Let God receive you as you bring your hurt, your pain. Let the cross of Christ remind you that it was all done for us. There's nothing we bring to the table. Jesus accomplished everything for us. And through our faith, through our faith in Christ, we find the righteousness of Christ. So Jesus understood that his suffering meant our forgiveness. He willingly suffered for the Lord. In fact, saw it as joy because he could see the future and knew that it meant our deliverance. So as Jesus was in the garden and he was praying, he willingly took the cup of God's suffering upon himself and said, not my will, but your will be done. Let me ask you a question, just as we get ready to take communion together as the family of God. Let me ask you a question. Where are you today? Do, are, you, are you in the camp where you're like, ah, God can't really receive me. My, my past is just too messy. You don't, you don't get it, Pastor. It's just, is that where you are? Have, have we, have we, are we in the point of where like, yeah, I always ask kind of for forgiveness, but... N- you know, I, I didn't realize the severity of what Jesus really accomplished for me. And that should, that should sober our hearts to realize that Jesus did everything possible and gave up everything to reach us. And maybe, maybe we've taken that for granted a little bit and not realizing like, yeah, Jesus, I've, I've taken that for granted. That's why we take communion because Jesus never wanted us to forget. He wanted us to remember the precious sacrifice that he made for us. So maybe it's remembering that and, 
and being grateful for what Jesus has accomplished for you and I. So this is what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. For this week, I want you to reflect of what the cross truly means. I want you to reflect on his suffering. I want you to wake up in the morning before you, you grab your phone, before you get your cup of coffee, before the dog licks your face, whatever that might be. I, I want you just to say this. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your precious blood. I, I want that to be the first thing you say because I don't know what your day is going to be like. I don't know what's going to happen. But I want that to be the first thing that you say when you wake up, say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you provided for me. Let there be a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for what Jesus Christ had accomplished for you. Church, listen. Our future is bright. Our future is blessed in Christ. That doesn't mean everything's going to work out. That doesn't mean... Tomorrow you're going to walk in, your boss is going to give you a huge raise. I don't know, maybe he will, I don't know. But listen, our future is bright in Christ because he's accomplished everything for us. And our hope, our hope is in an empty tomb that Jesus conquered sin and death for you and I, that no longer death has its sting over us. That's our hope in a hopeless world. People need to hear that hope. We need to live out that hope. We need to strengthen our hearts with that hope that we serve and we love a risen Savior who hears us and knows us. That relationship that Jesus had with Abba Father, God the Father, he desires to have with you. Not through a contract, but through a covenant that he made through his precious blood. Amen. Father God, as we just bow our hearts before you today, thank you for your word that gives us insight to the heart of Jesus before he went to the cross. We thank you that every single one of us in this room, we all made mistakes. We're all messed up in one way or another. We just are, if we're just completely honest with ourselves, you're not looking for religious people. You're looking for humble people who come and just give their lives to you. You're not looking for us to beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up and say we're no good, we're no good. You're asking us to humble ourselves and fall on the grace and mercy of you. We thank you for that mercy that flows into our hearts when we recognize our waywardness. And we thank you for the blessings that come and the transformation that comes when you change our hearts. So I pray for people that are watching online, for people that are here in, in the room today, wherever they may be, I pray that we would call out to you, that, that our faith would be in you and you alone, that we are protected under Christ and his precious blood because of what he accomplished for us. And God, you accepted the sacrifice of your son Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father forever interceding for his children. It's over. It's finished. It's done. There's no more sacrifices. In Christ Jesus, we are made right before God. And our inheritance is that we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. 
that we have a beautiful future ahead of us, that heaven awaits those who will put their hope in you. So speak that to our hearts today. And for anyone that just is wandering today, may they just put their hope in you, Jesus, and you alone. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Can we thank the Lord this morning for his goodness? He's so good. Amen. All right, we're going to take communion today. As you know, uh, if you take the top cellophane and rip, put that back, we're going to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Oh, that sounds so good. All right, you can take out the wafer there. And then if you pull back the next foil, that will, that will uh, let you get to the juice. Amen. You guys are doing good with that. Amen. Jesus says, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So in your hand, symbolically, we see the body of Christ that was given for us. Jesus said, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is given for you, this physical sacrifice. Jesus is the bread of life. When we come to him, we hunger no more. And in the cup symbolizes the precious blood. We knew through the word of God, there could be no forgiveness of our trespasses unless there was the shedding of blood to appease the holiness of God. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, it appeased the holiness and the demands of God that through Christ Jesus, we may now enter into his presence and find grace and mercy in our time of need. So we thank you for your body, Jesus. We thank you for giving everything for us. We love you today in your precious name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And we thank you for this cup. We thank you for your precious blood that was given for us. I pray you'd cover us today. Wash us anew and afresh today. We thank you for the forgiveness that can only come through Christ. That in Christ Jesus we find freedom. There's no more bondage in Egypt any longer. You set us free. And I know there's so many here that maybe just are locked into some thing in their life, Lord, that's captivated them. I pray you would just set them free today, Jesus. May we find our freedom in you and you alone. And thank you for the joy that accompanies that. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your precious blood and your holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Amen. Could we stand together? And uh, we're just going to close in song today. Um, one of my favorite songs. So I said, Katie, let's just sing it. It's my, it's my, so it's kind of selfish. I'm sorry, but I just love this song. It's kind of a song you're gonna, we're going to be singing in heaven. It just speaks of all the things that Jesus has done for us. And through his beautiful work, Jesus is the King of Kings. We worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can we thank God for that today? Amen. Sing the Son of the Lord. God bless you.